If you have your Bible, would you remain standing in honor of God's Word? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We are jumping back into our current series, Mental Health Goals. Has anybody already broke their New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Everybody still hanging tight? That's good. That's good. Give it another week and you watch them just go down this kid. One of the ways to keep your New Year's resolutions is to prioritize your mental health. And so we're going to be talking about that. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse number three says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, we don't fight the way the world fights. We don't do business the way the world does business. We don't operate the way the world operates. We are different than them. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural. But they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Strongholds, arguments, knowledge, and thoughts. Strongholds, arguments, knowledge, and thoughts. Remember that? Strongholds, arguments, knowledge, and thoughts. It's telling us where our battle is. Our battle is in our mind. And so it's with that in mind that I want to talk to you from the subject, mighty weapons. Mighty weapons. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace and your power and by the teaching and leading of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that he will help us to be more like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, you may be seated. Last week in our series, Mental Health Goals, we looked at the importance of making mental health a priority. And we said one of the big driving reasons is our lives follow our thoughts. And we established that the reason for this is that our minds over time and through various inputs, whatever those inputs are for you. And for us, they're, they're, they're like the way you were raised and the environment you grew up in and the things that happened to you and the things that didn't happen to you, the stuff that you were exposed to, the stuff that you weren't exposed to. All those inputs in life, they shape our belief system and our thoughts. And as a result of those inputs... Our thoughts and belief systems get shaped a certain way and our minds get hardwired, if you will, to work that way because of these things called neuropathways. And neuropathways, if you remember from last week, they are the grooves in your brain. They're the ruts in your brain. Those neuropathways are the instructions that your brain gives to the rest of your body so that your body acts the way it does. You act the way you do. You experience what you experience because of those ruts that are in your head. And as a result, our lives follow certain patterns of behavior that if you look at your life objectively, you repeat over and over and over and over and over and over again. Fact of the matter is most people are very much creatures of habit and they're not creatures of habit only because they want to be. They're creatures of habit because their programming is telling them that's the way they ought to behave. And so so some of these things we do over and over and over again, some are healthy 
and some are unhealthy. Some of the things we want to do, some of the things that we don't want to do, but we find ourselves doing them, and our mind, because our mind is stuck in these ruts. And so that's why, for instance, the Apostle Paul said things like that. He said, the things I want to do, I find myself not doing. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And that was a really true statement for a whole lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is because of the programming in our brain. We get stuck in ruts and our life inevitably follows those ruts. Now, this is a well-established fact in the scientific community of late, but it's always been a well-established fact in the scripture. God over and over again has told us this truth and perhaps most um, straightforwardly in Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 when he said, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so since our lives follow our thoughts, the strategy of the enemy is to ruin our lives and stop us from experiencing God's will for our lives by infiltrating our mind with lies. So the way that he wants to ruin our lives is to infiltrate our mind with lies. Things that we believe are true even though they are not true. And the reason why he wants to do this is so he can establish a rut in your head because if he can establish a rut in your head, you can get stuck in the rut and your life can become ruined. And so he tells you all these lies and there's a whole bunch of them, you know, lies like you're ugly or you're weird or you're you're unwanted or you're unloved or you're unnoticed or you're not intelligent or you're not needed or you're misplaced or you're a misfit. And so what happens is as a result of these things, we act or we behave certain ways, like we're socially awkward or we're guarded or we don't put ourselves out there or we stop taking care of ourselves or, or we use anger as a wall of protection. And the reason why people behave those ways is not because they they were born to behave those ways. It's because they have acquired this behavior as a result of the programming that's in their head. And so they may try to stop it. They may try to muscle up. At the beginning of every year, everybody muscles up, right? We're going to, we're going to, we're going to achieve our goals through willpower, and if you've ever tried to achieve a goal through willpower, willpower only takes you so far and eventually it runs out. And the reason for that is because you're dealing with the fruit of the problem when you try to change behavior by behavior and not the root of the problem and realizing that behavior is a manifestation of the wiring in your head. And so God is very plain about this all throughout the scripture. And he tells us that we need to renew our mind, right? Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, so that we can experience or prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The only way to experience the will of God for our lives is to renew our mind. And so the enemy comes along knowing the power of our thoughts on our behavior and our life, and he gets us to believe lies because a lie believed as true affects us as if it were true. Whether something is true or not has no bearing on how it affects you. Whether you believe it is true has everything to do with how it affects you. That's why the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Truth doesn't make anybody free. It's only truth that is known. And so that's why we need to speak the truth. The Bible says in love, right? Because sometimes people need to be ready to hear the truth. Because if they're not ready to hear the truth, it could actually 
go the opposite way. And so if you don't recall all of this that we talked about last week, remember Fido in the invisible fence? Remember we talked about him? But if you weren't here last week, let me show you how a lie can affect your life and cause you to stay in a rut. It was this guy named Nick. He, he worked on the railroad, and he was one of the biggest, toughest men in the crew. He was one of the company's best workers. He was always on time. He always stayed late. He did a quality job, but he was also known as a pessimist. He was always thinking that something bad was going to happen to him, and he always feared the worst. Well, one day his crew was told they could go home early to celebrate the birthday of one of the foremen. Everybody went home except Nick because he accidentally locked himself in a refrigerated boxcar. And when he locked himself in the refrigerated boxcar and realized it, he panicked and he began to bang on the doors and scream and he was banging so hard that his fist got bloody, but no one could hear him. And so aware that he was in the refrigerated boxcar, he guessed the temperature in the unit was freezing. And so he feared the worst. He thought, well, you know what? I'm going to freeze to death and I'm not going to get out of here. And so he began to panic. And the more he panicked and the more he thought about how cold it was, the colder that he got. And he was no apparent way of escape. And so he thought, well, I might as well chronicle my demise. And so he had a pen and his shirt and he found the old piece of cardboard and he began to scribble out what he wanted people to know. And he said, getting cold body numb. If I don't get out soon, these will probably be my last words. And indeed they were. The next morning when the crew showed up, they opened the boxcar, they found Nick's body crumpled up in the corner and he was dead. The autopsy was completed and it revealed that indeed he did freeze to death. Now here's the fascinating enigma. The investigators discovered that the refrigeration unit for the boxcar in which Nick was trapped was not even on. In fact, it had been out of order for some time. It was not functioning at the time of Nick's death. The temperature in the car that night, the night that Nick froze to death, was 61 degrees. Nick froze to death in slightly slightly less than normal room temperatures because he thought and believed a lie that he was in a frozen boxcar or a freezing boxcar. Here's the question. What boxcar are you freezing to death in? Because you believed the lie to be true, and it wasn't. The lies we believe is true, although they are not true, as our opening text says. But the lies that we believe are true are what the Bible calls strongholds. This is what gets up in your head. And these strongholds become the leaders in your life. And they lead your life in whatever direction you are experiencing in your current state. Strongholds. And in Bible times, strongholds was a term that described the highest point in a city where there was a citadel built. And it was a, it was kind of like a fortress, if you will, 20 foot high walls, two feet thick. And when a city was under siege, the political leaders were held in the fortress so that after the battle was over, that they could come on out and they can lead again. And what is the Bible telling us? What happens to us when we muscle up with willpower is we battle for a moment, but after the battle is over, the thought leaders in our life come out and they start ruling all over again, right? So what do we do? How do we get our life back? In order to get your life back, in order to live the life 
that God promises us a good, acceptable, and perfect life, right? The life that God has designed for us. We've got to get rid of the strongholds. And here's the good news. The strongholds can absolutely be demolished. Isn't that good news? That the patterns of behavior that you find yourself stuck in, you don't have to be stuck in for the rest of your life because you can demolish the strongholds. Your brain can be rewired, or as the Bible puts it, renewed. You can uproot the old ruts, and you can reshape your brain by designing or digging new trenches that will cause you to triumph in life. And so here's the question. How do we do this? Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3. Here's what it says. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. How do we uproot the ruts in our head that have been ruining our life through these things called mighty weapons? I mean, I think sometimes we just glaze over, right? We don't realize what God just said. God just said, I've given you these things called mighty weapons in order to destroy, demolish strongholds. Everybody say this with me. Say mighty weapons. Think Superman and go mighty weapons. Think Hercules and go mighty weapons. Think Wonder Woman and go mighty weapons. Think the Hulk and go mighty weapons. What are these mighty weapons? Well, first of all, mighty weapons are mighty because they demolish, demolish, demolish strongholds. In the natural, it wasn't easy to capture the citadel. I mean, it was really, really difficult to kill the political leaders and consequently truly capture the city. The strongholds were a fortress. It was guarded by the best trained soldiers who had at their disposal the best weaponry available, not to mention the 20-foot high walls that were two feet thick. And so the only way to demolish the strongholds was with a wrecking ball. You know what a wrecking ball is, right? That thing you see, it just kind of, it just swings. Right? And you remember the song by Miley Cyrus, Wrecking Ball? It came in like a wrecking ball. Remember that one? Well, that's the power of God. The power of God comes in like a wrecking ball and it demolishes. It begins to put to ruins all of the strongholds that are in your head and my head. What does it mean? It means... Destruction by massive power. It means to lower with violence. Remember that scripture? The kingdom of God suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. force. It means that you can't be a passive Christian. The problem with most believers in terms of victory is they are too passive. Passivity does not create victory. You have to be aggressive in your faith. You have to be aggressive in the discipline of walking out your faith in order to destroy strongholds, right? So it is, it is to lower with violence. It means to bring something down with power that is otherwise impenetrable. It means to cause to crumble, to make possible to capture the thought leaders in your life, to demolish these things. Right? Our weapons demolish, 
crumble, destroy, uproot, bring to ruins the strongholds in our head that are steering our lives and they enable us to renew our mind and transform our lives so we can experience the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. They are mighty weapons, right? Now, why else are they mighty? Well, mighty weapons are mighty because they're mighty. So what does that mean, Pastor? Mighty weapons are mighty because they're mighty. Well, to understand this, first of all, you have to understand who's giving us the mighty weapons. The Almighty. Isn't it amazing how one of the names for God is Almighty? It literally means, in, it, in its totality, it means the power to sway. So, so I like that definition because when I think I, I serve an Almighty God, I'm just thinking, God, you're going to sway everything my way. Right? Everything that needs to be swayed, God, you have the power to sway it my way. But when you break it down, it means a little bit more than that. But I think it's interesting that one of the main places that the Bible talks about God being almighty is Revelation chapter 1, verse number 8. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, who is to come. And he says, the Almighty. And the reason why this is interesting to me is the book that it's located in. In the book that describes the epic battle of the ages. In the book that describes how it's all going to go down. In the book that describes the second coming of the king when he binds the devil and puts him on a train and tra- chain and treats him like his pet dog. In a book that describes how he humiliates him by putting him for a thousand years as a gazing stock for all the world to see. In the book that describes how he casts him into the pit of fire. In the book that describes his mighty judgments. In the book that describes how he creates a new heaven and a new earth. In the book that describes him defeating the enemy with simply what is spoken from his mouth in the book that tells us that in the end he remains in the book that tells us he wears the victor's crown in the book we find out that he is not only the alpha the beginning and the author of all life but the one that remains in the end and will always be in that book he says and I just want you all to know I'm almighty almighty God what is he saying I'm the one with demonstrated power, eruptive power, overwhelming power, power that cannot be restricted or resisted, indomitable power. Have you ever felt helpless to overcome the habits in your life? God is saying, I got something for you. Mighty weapons. Something that is indomitable, something that cannot be resisted, cannot be stopped, will indeed tear down the strongholds in your head. This is the same power, by the way, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the same power when he says mighty weapons, same exact power. That, that we, that we, we see manifested in the resurrection when he defeats death, hell, and the grave. Same power that flicked the stone out of the way as if it were a pebble. Same power that allowed the Romans to feel the earth shake. I feel the earth shake under my feet. You know, you don't know the song. Remember that? And the Bible said they felt the, the, the earth shaking under their feet. It caused that the, the guards, the, the Roman guards to fall over paralyzed as dead men. Almighty power. The weapons are mighty because they're mighty. Because they come from an almighty God. But also, you need to realize that they're powerful because they are for us. 
Listen to what the Apostle Paul prayed. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 9. This is a great prayer. Pray this over you sometimes. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and sealed him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. Notice this. The Bible just told us that God wants to give us to partake in. Not a counterfeit power, not a lesser power, not a like power, but the same exact power that raised Jesus from the dead. He said that mighty power is for us who believe. And here's what you need to understand. There is no devil. There is no demon. There is no sickness. There is no circumstance. There is no problem. There is no pain. There is no tragedy. There is no past. There is no present. There is no future. There is no stronghold. There is no argument. There is no knowledge. There is no thought. Nothing can stand against that power of God that is for us. Nothing can. And so, in order for us to tap the power, we've got to use the mighty weapons. See, trying to tap the power without using the weapons is a, is a fruitless activity. And, and the weapons are, 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 are plentiful. So many at our disposal. But listen, not only is, do, listen to how the Bible talks about this power being for us. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, a final word. The Lord's Paul, let me tell you something before I check out. And you all need to hear this. He says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, the NLT says. Everybody's trying to be strong. You know, you're stronger than you think. You're better than you think. You're this than you think. You're that than you think. And all. Only if you're standing in the power of God. Be strong in the Lord and the power and his mighty power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Here's what this is telling us. Is that there is a way for you to hold your ground. There is a way for you to not retreat in life. There is a way for you to not be on your heels, but rather to be on your toes. There is a way for you to not only hold your ground, but to advance. And that way is if you put on the whole armor of God, because that's what enables you to stand in his mighty power. And if you don't do it, guess what? You won't be able to stand. See, the Bible is not as mysterious as we think. It's really very simple. Do what God says. Receive what God promised. I love that, right? Pretty simple. I love the instructions that Mary gave to all of the people at the, the, the wedding feast of Cana. You know, they ran out of the wine and they were all panicking. What are we going to do? We're going to do, we're going to do. And Mary just said, whatever he says, do it. That's the, that's the, that's the, the greatest simplification of the Bible that I've ever heard. Cause here's what it means. Just if God said it, do it. Do it, right? So God said, here's a way for you to be really, really strong. Here's a way for you to have mighty power. Here's a way for you to, to, to exercise in your life, to experience in your life resurrection power, power that will cause the earth to shake under your feet. 
put on the whole armor of God. Put on the weapons. Put on the weapons, right? This power is available for us to overcome all the... Notice what the enemy has. He has strategies. Again, these are mind games. They're they're, they're the lies. They're the twists. They're the convincing. They're the things that you have adapted, that you have believed, that are ruining your life. And God is telling us we need to fight with mighty weapons. And they're mighty not only because they come from the Almighty, not only because they're for us, but they're mighty because they make us strong. The power of God makes us strong. The word strong is a very common Greek word, extremely, extremely common. It was used to describe Hercules, for instance. Hercules was was described as strong because he was given superhuman strength to accomplish superhuman tasks. And so when a stronghold comes across our life, what happens all the time? We feel helpless, right? Anybody ever feel helpless when a stronghold is in your life? I just, I, I've been trying to beat this thing forever. Every time I, I, I wind up back in this, I just don't know. I, I, just, I guess this is, you know, my lot in life. I guess after you feel helpless. But God says there's a way for you to go from helpless to Hercules. Hercules, Hercules. No, don't play. There's a way for you to do that. And the way for you to do that is to be strong in the Lord, the power of God, God's mighty weapons make us strong. So here's what God wants you to get today. Stop fighting with inferior weapons and start fighting with superior weapons. Stop fighting with inferior weapons and start fighting with superior weapons. Stop going tit for tat. Stop fighting hate with hate. Stop going insult for insult, curse for curse. Stop going, you did this to me, I'll do this to you. Stop fighting, start fighting with mighty weapons, right? One of the worst things that has happened to society that was aggravated over the last couple of years is everybody was dragged into a tit-for-tat fight. Even Christians. And I'm going... Y'all are just carnal-minded right now. Christians just did tip for tat. God said, don't fight that way. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty in God. So the pulling down of strongholds, and history tells us that you cannot fight carnal things and win with carnal things. Even the great MLK said this, you cannot drive out darkness with darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. There are superior weapons to fight natural experiences. Mighty weapons. I had a dog named Abraham, our first family dog. I'm not a dog person. Become a little bit more of a dog person over time. But it's de- definitely back when we got our first family, I wasn't a dog person. You know, I, I like things neat. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not into hair all over my house. I don't like that. You know, you can have hair on your house if you want to. It's your house, not my house. Do whatever you want with it. You know, I don't like, I don't like smells. It bothers me. Like, you know, I, I don't need poop on my living room floor, and I don't need pee stains over here. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that kind of stuff. I like neat, nice, 
godliness, or what is, the, what is the expression? Cleanliness is next to godliness. I believe that with all my heart. But, but my wife was a dog person, you know, and so, so she said, well, let's go. They had these little toy poodles, and she said, let's go check it out. And so we met the, the breeder in a shopping center of sorts, and, and, and out comes this, this, this little, like, toy poodle that was, like, in my hand, and it looked cute. You know, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It looked cute. So, so I said, all right, how much? How much? And we got the dog, and, and we named the dog Abraham. Not because we're spiritual or nothing like that, but I didn't like dogs much, and I said, if I'm going to get a dog, I'm going to at least stud him out. He's going to become the father of many dogs, and so I called him Abraham. I said, at least, at least I'm going to get some money out of this, right? And so that was my reason for calling him Abraham, right? And, and so, you know, Abraham, I didn't like him very much, and, you know, my life, my wife liked him, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I didn't like to pet him, and ain't going to sleep on my bed or nothing like that. And I'd sit down on the couch, and every time I sat down on the couch, he'd come over, and he'd sit right by me. And I'd push him off the couch, like, get off the couch, you know, make my clothes stink, you know, get out of here. And he'd come right back next time I sat on the couch, sit right down next to me. And I'd push him off the couch. And this went on, I don't know, this must have went on for, for months on end, because I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't, I just didn't want to be a dog person. But that dog kept coming back and, 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 and trying, he was fighting my hate with a superior weapon. He was fighting with kindness. He was fighting with love. He was fighting by showing he cared. And after he just kept doing this and kept doing this and kept doing this, and then all of a sudden one day I found myself, and my wife was like, why are you petting the dog? I said, I ain't petting no dog. What are you going to get out of here? See, superior weapons, they're the way that God wants us to fight because the weapons that God has given us are mighty to demolish strongholds. And if you are going to rewire your brain, if you are going to get the victory in certain areas of behavior in your life that you keep repeating, you can't do it the way you've always done it. That is the definition of insanity. What you have to do is you have to start fighting with this thing called mighty weapons. Well, what exactly are these mighty weapons? And I can only tell you the classes of them and then next week and in the following weeks we'll talk about exactly what they are but there's three classes of mighty weapons to destroy strongholds in your life the first one is repealing weapons the second one is rewiring weapons and the third category of weapons is reframing weapons repealing weapons rewiring weapons reframing weapons now repealing weapons are mighty weapons that uproot the ruts Before you rewire your brain, you got to get rid of the old wiring. So God has given us these things called repealing weapons. Now, you won't find the terminology repealing weapons in the Bible. I just categorized them like this because of what they do. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 17 says, No man puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure Spilling the wine and ruining the skins, new wine is stored in new wine skins so that both are preserved. In other words, principle in here, get rid of the old before putting in the new. Right? You gotta, you gotta get the old stuff out, right? You, you don't, you don't decide to just put your new furniture over top of your old furniture, right? You, you, you remove the old furniture, right? You, you get rid of the stuff. I love cleaning, by the way. Every I can't wait for spring to just throw all the old stuff out. You know, I think people who are pack rats got some serious problems. 
Sorry I'm talking about you like that. Right? You got to get rid of the old stuff in order to put in a new. If you throw new on top of old, it makes everything look a mess. Right? And so what is God saying? Get rid of the old. You got you to gotta, you gotta get rid of replacing weapons. And secondly, rewiring or renewing weapons. These are mighty weapons that replace the old unwanted ruts with new healthy trenches. Right? And, and, and see, once you repeal your old thought patterns, you must replace them with new thought patterns. Otherwise, you'll wind up being worse than before. Let me say it again. If you repeal and don't renew or rewire, then you'll wind up being worse than before. You got to put something in place, right? If you pull all your old furniture out and you don't put a new, fur- new furniture in, you got nowhere to sit, right? And the house looks worse than it did before. Looks empty. Looks barren, right? Listen to what Matthew chapter 12 says. It says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, and he finds none. Then he says, I return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. What's it telling us? This principle that it's telling us here is that in order to, to, to renew your brain, rewire your brain, you gotta get the old stuff out, but then you gotta put new stuff there as well. Old ruts have to be repealed and new trenches have to be put in. And there's a difference between a rut and a trench. A rut gets there in an unwanted way. Nobody says I'm gonna put a rut in my brain. Nobody purposely creates ruts anywhere in life. But people do dig trenches. Trenches. Trenches are healthy. Trenches cause you to triumph. Ruts ruin your life. And so God has given us rewiring or renewing weapons. And then the last one is reframing weapons. These are mighty weapons that strengthen the trenches so that you can live in victory. Reframing is one of the oldest Mind tricks is Jedi Knight mind trick. One of the oldest mind tricks in the book, reframing. By the way, I'm getting a little ahead of myself because I love reframing so much. Did you know that explanations are more important than experiences? That was deep right there. I'm going to explain it to you. Explanations are more important than experiences. Because the explanations groove the brain. What you tell yourself about what you've been through is more important than what you've been through. This is powerful stuff. I can't wait to teach you this kind of stuff. But it's one of the oldest tricks in the Bible. Watch this. This is how the devil got Adam and Eve to sin by reframing. What happened? God comes along. He says, every tree in the whole garden, eat everyone you want to. Enjoy. Pick out eat all the fruits and vegetables that you want. They won't make you fat. And they're like, this is cool. He said, but just don't touch that one right there. And then along comes the devil. And the devil says, oh, God told you you can't eat of all the trees of the garden, eh? Did you notice what he did? He reframed the promise. He took a promise of you can and turned it into a you can't. I mean, what was, what was stronger, the you can or the you can't? 
The Yuken was all the trees. The Yuken was this one little one. But the devil came along. He reframed it. And what he said is, you can't. God said, you can't. And see, when you reframe, what you do is you, you tell a story that creates a rut instead of digging a trench that creates a truth and a triumph. Right? And so what we're going to learn how to do is how do we reframe and use that to strengthen the trenches that God wants to build or that we need to cooperate with God to build in our mind so we can have patterns of victory in our life. Stand to your feet. Homework time. You like homework? I hate homework. These are easy homeworks, okay? Right? I was the type of teacher who gave you the quiz before you got the quiz. And so if you didn't pass the quiz, it's because you didn't pay attention. I did teach school for a long period of time as well. So first bit of homework. In your time with the Lord, ask him to show you what thoughts you are having regularly that are unhealthy. Get before God. Ask God, God, you need to show me. And you're going to see why this is actually the beginning of of the replacing tools. God, show me what what thoughts. I want to I want to look these square in the face. I don't want to run from them, God, anymore. I want to have enough courage to ask you the most wonderful, caring father in all the world. You know, there's some people you don't want to ask, tell me what I did wrong. Because you know they're unkind. And you know they're harsh. And you know they'll just beat you up with it. But how many of you know to go to God and say, God, show me? Oh, God is so loving and so gentle and so kind. And his correction is for our benefit. And so I want you to pray this prayer. Psalm 139. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Homework, that's your prayer. God, show me my unhealthy thoughts. Okay? Number two, second part of the homework. Make this confession daily. I'm committed to using God's mighty weapons. Every day this week, I am committed to using God's mighty weapons. So first, God, show me my thoughts that are unhealthy. Second part of the homework, confession over your life. I am committed to using God's mighty weapons. Because when you speak it and speak it and speak it, you are conditioning yourself to prepare to use them. God, I'm committed to using your mighty weapons. And you might get, you might get Holy Ghost with it. You might be like, and I'm not going to use the devil's weapons anymore. And I'm not going to fight with carnal weapons anymore. And I'm not going tit for tat anymore. And I'm, you might get Holy Ghost with it if you want, but that's up to you. And then third part of the homework, get your book back in church next week. Okay? Because you only got like half of the information. And people know sometimes enough to make them dangerous, but you got to know all of the information so you can apply it to your life and walk in the truth that the Holy Spirit wants us to have. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the praise in this place. We thank you for your good, good word. We thank you for your word, which renews our mind, rejuvenates our spirit, plants within us hope, makes us aware of your goodness, helps us to walk in the light, tells us that we can, reminds us of the things that we often ignore, that we can defeat the enemy, that the enemy is to be under our feet, not in our head. 
And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, we come into a prayer of agreement. We cast down every stronghold, every argument, every bit of knowledge, every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge that you told us was true in your word. We speak freedom over every person in Jesus' name. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we never close our services, you know the drill, without giving people the opportunity to give their life to Jesus Christ. You don't get these mighty weapons unless you're a child of God. The benefits of what Jesus did are for those that accept him as Lord and Savior. He came so that we could be saved from our sin, so that we could have eternal life. And I don't know, I usually know almost every face on Saturday night because this is the faithful but small crowd. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you today, surrender your life to him. And if that's you, just hold your hand up. Is there anybody here that's like that, Pastor? I don't know Jesus. I don't know if I were to die today whether I'd spend eternity with him in heaven. Anybody like that in here? Amen. Maybe there's somebody out there watching online. Last week we had so many people give their life to Christ online. It was absolutely amazing. They said, Pastor, you can't believe how many people give their life to Jesus online. So maybe you're watching. And maybe you want to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe you want to lay down the burden that you're carrying, put it at the feet of Jesus. He wants to save you. And if that's you right where you are at home, I want to pray a prayer with you. Would you say this with me? Would you all help me pray with those people that are at home? Say this with me. Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I repent of my sins. I make Jesus the Lord of my life. And I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. Hey, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a little hand, reach out and click it or write Jesus in the chat and one of our ministers online will reach out and encourage you. God bless all of you. Been so good to be with you. I preached the whole message. I said nothing about the Cowboys whooping the 49ers tomorrow. God bless you. We'll see you next week.